There's this one quality that I think defines femininity above all other qualities. And what I've said in church about masculinity, I actually heard a pastor say it and I just kind of ran with it because I thought that makes a lot of sense to me. One of the things I've said has defined masculinity is I've said a masculinity is defined by a man who will take personal responsibility. I believe that to be true. I think it's true for men and women. But I think on the flip side, there is a certain quality in the Bible that we're going to get to. It starts with Eve. And there's a certain quality, although there are many qualities of the female species. I just said that and it sounded harsh when I said it out loud. There are certain qualities of being female. Is that softer? (laughs) Species are like, what is wrong with this guy? Uh, There are certain qualities about being female that define you in a culture that does not want to give any definition to the term. And I think there's one quality. I think it would be wise to take notes today about what this quality looks like. It is going to be very heartfelt. I'm going to try my best to be in touch with my feminine side. And uh, I think it'd be wise because in child rearing, I think this quality has the capacity to do all sorts of good. And those things that are important have the capacity to do good. And those things that are good have the capacity to also do harm when they are not done correctly. And so that quality that I want to present to you today is on your sermon notes. It's on the title. It's the discipline of nurturing. It's the chapter in the book. There are all sorts of things that happen when children or people in general are nurtured appropriately. And then there's on the flip side, all sorts of baggage that we possess throughout even the duration of our life when we do not have proper nurturing. And so just as a preface to the message, I am not saying this. I don't really want to hear this in an email. I'm not saying that men should not nurture. I am not saying that men can't nurture. What I am saying when I see scripture, when I'm reading this material, is that God gives men and women special giftings, and I am saying that I think more often than not, women knock this out of the park better than men. Is it okay to say that in church, okay? Uh, We can leave our political correctness to a point at the door and walk into new life, okay? I am saying that, that I think in general, it's something that women knock out of the park And praise God for that. And so here's how it's defined if you want to write some stuff down. The the definition of nourishing nourishing is the act of nursing or to nourish. The English definition is to further develop or to train. And so in Scripture, it is uniquely female. In the beginning, in the beginning, God creates Adam and decides what? It's not good for man to be, uh, I need participation, Alone, okay? How many men are like, that's so true? And so then in the narrative, in the beginning of Genesis, you see Adam, who's kind of whimpering, who knows that something's missing. And what's so unique about that is that from the beginning, there's no sin in the equation. It's not like he's lacking spiritual maturity in his life. He's living a perfect life with a perfect God. And he knows that something's missing. He knows that he's lonely, that you can actually be lonely even though you have the Lord, that there's a piece of your heart when he gives you that piece of your heart that you want something, that you can be missing it. And and Adam doesn't even fully understand what that thing could possibly be. And so God says it's not good for man to be alone. And he does what? He creates Eve. And all he needs is a rib. And he creates her. and, and And from the dirt, man and woman are created. And the Bible says this, that she's the mother of all the living. Genesis 3.20, it's going to be on the screen. You can follow it. 
The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And here's where this is interesting. The word mother actually translates more accurately to nurturer. And so Eve is the nurturer of all the living. We all have this credit to give to Eve because that's uh, in her nature. And you can write this down. Nurture, biblically, as a female, is wired into your innate nature to the point to the point where your body is actually designed, and this is what makes things so profound. Like this is what one of the key evidences that God is real, that as a female, as a mother, that you're actually wired in a way to nurture and to nourish even in your anatomy. I mean, I don't think we need to get into all the details. You, you know how that works, right? Nine months, the baby's being made in, in your womb, the baby comes out, and you're actually designed with these capacities to, to physically nourish a living being. Men and women are different. Not one is better than the other. But if women were better, if, why would that be? Because you can make a baby. I mean, this is incredible. This is God-given that in your anatomy, you have this capacity, capacity to nourish. There's things going physiologically uh, on a physiological level, there's things going on in your body that you probably don't even understand. And as a man, I can promise you, I don't understand at all. There's adoption studies with mothers who have this wiring, who care for an adopted child and have hormones released in their bodies, which can create more favorable conditions for conceptions. Have you guys ever heard the story that they couldn't have a child and then they adopted and then they had a child? There's some physiological things going on with that because the nurture is in the nature. In fact, nurturing can enhance nature. And so the essence of masculinity is to take personal responsibility. I would say in Scripture, the essence, the essence of femininity is to nurture. And so here's where it gets, right? Here's where the plot thickens a little bit. We look around at this narrative, and not everyone agrees. That culture has somehow hijacked this reality of being feminine and just the, the privilege it is to be a nurturer. And if you're a history buff, you could probably say it better than me, but I was reading this literature from this book, and it talked about the Girlhood Project. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. If you're reading along, you've heard of it. The Girlhood Project really infiltrated into Generation X, which is kind of, I'm on the tail end of that. It's been going on for maybe the last 50 years. And in the Girlhood Project, there was a specific deliberate plan to push back on traditional conceptions of girlhood. And traditional boyhood was kind of adopted into the mix uh, as a coverall for both boys and girls. And, and feminists called on a new single sexual standard based on traditional boyhood. Girls in their play and their pursuits were made to be more like boys. And so those things as the byproduct, those things as the byproduct that were naturally female specifically childbearing, were treated by elites as something to be managed, something to be minimized, and somehow overcome, thus, this massive push for abortion. So this idea of nurturing has been hijacked in a demonic sense. And so I'll, I will say this as we get started. I'm just going to ask three questions. I'm going to take my time to answer them. There's going to be subpoints like what we've been running with all year, uh, and it's going to get a bit clinical. And so if you like that type of stuff, Stay with me. If not, take a quick nap. We'll be done soon. Uh, if you have a good life, 
Men, one of the reasons you have a good life is because you have pursued a woman that knows how to nurture. She sees her God-given role. She owns it with confidence. And it's incredibly, incredibly, incredibly attractive. The Proverbs 31 woman, charm is deceptive. My father-in-law said this to me this morning. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And so the first question is this, what are the qualities of a nurturer? I'm gonna use examples from life. I'm gonna talk about some studies that I've been reading, some supplemental literature that is not Christian. It's, it's, so you guys kinda have to, if you read it, you have to throw, uh, throw that into context and not throw the baby out with the bathwater. But it gives some understanding of how this process of nurturing works. But the first question is this, what is the discipline of nurturing? What do nurturers do? There have been researched ideas. There's a few things that rise to the surface over and over again. And I think they're, they're kind of intuitively self-explanatory because as a mother and even as a, as a man who's has been married for 20 years now, you see these things on display and you can't really argue with these attributes. The, the first one is this, a nurturer protects. A nurturer protects, and that's critical to the psyche. It even happens in the animal kingdom. And what I was thinking this week, I was thinking, man, you know, it's, it's getting warmer out. And I remember when my kids were little, and I would take them to Wiley Park. I don't know if you, obviously, if you live in Aberdeen, you're a heretic if you don't participate in that activity. But I'd take them to Wiley Park, and uh, I remember when my, my boys specifically were little, they would chase those animals that would run around Wiley Park. And animals are innately scared of people, even little kids, because little kids are just annoying to them. And so they run from them. In case of what example would that be the exception? When does an animal not run from a child and at a child? When they have what? When they have babies. When a mother feels threatened, when a duck at Wiley feels threatened, that duck will run. Have you ever had this happen at Wiley? Unless there are little ducklings behind it, and then it will attack, and the wings are intimidating, aren't they? I mean, they flap around with such ferocity. It's like they're going to just literally take you out. You can see the most passive of women who wouldn't hurt a fly by their nature. They will rip out your heart if you mess with a child of theirs. True? My wife calls it the mama bear complex. And so nurturers, by nature are protected. And and here's what's so cool. That when you're protected from a young age, Christian or non-Christian, this is just research-driven, when you are protected from a young age, you have this natural built-in confidence and there's a security to your psyche where you know that you are loved, where you know that you are safe, where you know that you can be confident in the world around you if you feel protected. If you feel protected from a young age, there are two people that I leaned in on for personal examples and wisdom in this message. One is my wife who pulls no punches. The other is my sister who's like a mom to me. And I asked them questions uh, and and didn't even know I was going to bring her up today. But she made this statement on nurturing that I thought was so profound that if you've never wrote anything down in church because you don't think I'm smart enough, my wife is pretty smart. And she said this driving in the Yukon the other day as we were headed to Taco Bell. I was asking her about motherhood. And I said, why is security so important? And she said this. She said, this is what women are looking for. This is what children are looking for. She said this, to truly nurture. This is like profound wisdom from a female. She said, to truly nurture is to know that someone will fight for you. Now check this out. 
that someone will fight for you, protection, despite you. That someone will fight for you despite you. She said, this is what a mother does. And so we started talking more. I thought, that's very interesting. I never quite thought about it in that way. That's the safety that nurturing brings. That's the way nurturing protects. That someone will fight for you despite for you. That's what a mother does. And if that doesn't happen, this is what she said, you become emotionally a survivalist. That as a young child, you should know even when you're wrong, you should be disciplined, right? You should be disciplined by mom, by dad, but you should also know that they're gonna fight for you despite you and there's nothing that they can, you can do to take their love away from you because they're protective in that capacity. They're like a duck with little ducklings following them at Wiley Park. Is it just me or is that, I mean, you're like, man, maybe she should be up here with you, right? She would never do that. She said, you become a survivalist and so uh, even when I fail, I'm loved. To earn this, to learn this, or not earn this, learn this at an early age is to put the gospel on display and to create these healthy emotional boundaries around your child's heart. Because nurturing protects. Here's the next thing. Story after story, it's gonna get sappy today, but it's Mother's Day and I feel like that's what you want. Nurturing, you're gonna see it on the screen, nurturing is affectionate. This is the unique wiring of a woman. Not that a man can't be, but this is the unique wiring of a woman. This is why you call your mom on Mother's Day because she was affectionate towards you. Uh, there's this young man in our church. I want to show you an example of what this looks like. His name's Emmett Fred. Emmett Fred is one going on two. Emmett, I'm just going to be very uh, real with you why I like Emmett so much. Because unlike a lot of children, for whatever reason, Emmett likes me. <laughs> and I probably have some narcissistic tendencies. Don't, don't, don't analyze that. But Emmett Fred likes me. And every time I walk into a room, he's been trained wisely by a godly woman in his life. He has this dinosaur voice, and I think I might have said this before, where he goes, rod. And I just, oh, that's my guy. And so we're going to stay on this picture for a second. Nurturers are affectionate. Kendra, I tell Greg all the time, I said, man, you knocked it out of the park with Kendra. She's just a good woman, godly woman. She gets it. And Kendra is one of these moms where she knew she'd like being a mom, but she didn't know how much she would like being a mom until she was a mom. And so she hangs out with Emmett all the time while Greg and I do pastoral duties with Chuck and Micah. And uh, she's with this young man all the time, and she disciplines him, and she corrects him, and then sometimes um, he gets a little bit upset. And what I found about this young man, Emmett, is he can go from zero to 100 because there is this young, there's this guy in his life whose name is Blippy. Have you guys heard of Blippy? This is Blippy. <laughs> Blippy could be on America's Most Wanted, in my opinion. He just looks, he looks beyond shady. But Emmett loves, loves, loves Blippi. And so we'll be at the house. We'll be hanging out. I'll have my phone on me. Uh, my son will have his phone on him. We'll be like, hey, we know how to win Emmett over. We know how to have him hang out with us. We just throw on a little Blippi, and it's five gazillion hits on YouTube. This guy, this guy caught probably could, like, buy South Dakota being Blippi, which is shocking and scary. But Emmett is, absolutely adores this guy. And if you take Blippi away, this is what you get. Right? I've seen that face many a time. 
And, I, and I've watched Kendra kind of walk through that blippy process where she says, okay, Emmett, five hours of blippy is enough. You're driving us all crazy. And she takes that from him and she breaks his little heart and she intervenes because she's a good mom and she knows that he's gonna literally lose his mind if that's all he does is watch Blippi. And then she holds him and she says to him, Emmett, it's okay, Blippi will be back later. And she just loves on this kid because nurturers are affectionate. Nurturers are affectionate. Nur- nurturers, write this down, nurturers, the, the essence of nurturing to protect and to love. Nurturers are selfless. My wife, she, with our children, my wife could sleep. I know this is kind of like a personal example because of last night. She could literally sleep through a tornado. She has a special gift where you, you think she's comatose. When our children were little, 3 a.m., if there was a cough, if there was a sniffle, my wife would jump up. It was like this God-given thing in her life, which was really nice for me because then I didn't have to as much. She could literally sleep through anything, and she was so selfless in her ability to nurture. Our oldest, when he was just this little guy, got spinal meningitis. I remember my wife, you could not, when he was in the hospital in California, you could not pull our oldest child from my wife's kung fu grip. He was two months old, and they folded him up. They did a spinal tap, and we were incredibly scared, and we didn't know what the outcome would be. I remember her mother, who was scared of traveling to California, she'd never been there, immediately got on an airplane, and she was right there with Anne, and just to watch this selfless type of affection and this nurturing type of affection in her life, you could tell that it was supernatural. We all cared, but my wife cared at a different level. She cared at a different level. Nurturers are attentive. They know what's going on in, in, in the context around them. They're engaged in the process like a good therapist. They're paying attention to the details. That's the discipline of nurturing. That's what nurturing does. Here's the second thing I want to answer. What does nurturing produce? There's something that it actually produces, and research drives this idea that motherhood just matters on this massive scale, that it's not just something that, you know, is a gimmick at a church where we know there's going to be high attendance, so we're going to, you know, tell you some nice things about being a mom on Mother's Day. This is a massive, massive ministry in your life. What does it produce? Here's the first thing that we know that it produces. It produces this thing called trust in your child's life. There's something counterintuitive about parenting. It would seem Would it not? And you can maybe disagree with this, but for me, intuitively, it would seem like you kind of want to get it right at the beginning when they can't talk. I remember when my kids, they couldn't talk. They couldn't go to the bathroom on their own. It was almost like, you know, I kind of just patted them on the head. Like, oh, when you're older, you'll be cool, right? And when you're older, men, are you going to throw me under the bus here? When you're older, these things will matter, and I can take you fishing if that's something that I did. Or I can play basketball with you, I do that. Or I can work out with you, and we can talk about the the deep things of life, and that's when parenting really takes place. But here's what research shows us over and over again, that it's those first couple of years that are the most formative. And it's when you are young, too young to understand what your emotional needs are, that your emotions are developing the most. That that ability to trust your environment produces something through the process of nurturing, and when that goes wrong, it has massive, massive effects on the psyche. So nurturing produces this idea of trust, that healthy trust builds through a mother's nurturing. Here's the next thing that it produces. It produces strength. 
These are indexes for research. Nurturing produces strength. Lack of nurturing produces psychological weakness. Uh, there, there is this book that I've been reading by Dr. Webb. She's a clinical psychologist, and she's worked with many trauma patients. And she wrote this book called Running on Empty, Overcoming Your Childhood Neglect. And, and she made this analogy. I was actually reading it last night. I got to this chapter, and it kind of worked out perfectly. And she made this analogy of all of our emotional stability and well-being and our personhood is kind of like a house. In fact, it's the perfect analogy because it's kind of like a, a house in the Midwest with a basement. And she said that, that our house on the outside can look very strong. In fact, on the outside, most of our houses, if we're fairly productive members of society, most of our houses look good. The siding looks good. The windows look good. The interior design looks good. But she said the difference between someone who has been nurtured appropriately and someone who has not is the inner strength that really is more about the foundation, that we are the house and that our past, check this out, this is like free of charge, okay, that our past is the foundation and when we don't have that worked out, when we haven't been nurtured appropriately, if we would not walk through a process of healing in our lives, and so now, Christian translation, if the gospel has not taken effect in our life, if we haven't uprooted these things that we've been talking about now all of 2022, then what happens is you have this house that has a cracked foundation, and when the foundation is cracked, crooked, or weak, it'll be an important strength of either security, if it's good, or it'll blow over when the tornado comes that you have this internal strength based on that foundation. That it can look normal on the surface, but it's anything but normal. When kids are not nurtured appropriately, when this ministry of nurturing has not taken place in their life, there are things that they do, there are ways that they respond, there are questions that they ask. Here are some of the common clinical questions that a child will ask as an adult now who's been through a lack of nurturing in their life, they will say to themselves, why do other people seem happier than me? Why do I not feel closer to my loved ones? Why do I feel so disconnected? The most common threads are, if this interests you, I'm just gonna lay them out for you real quick, we're gonna move on. The most common threads of adults with childhood emotional neglect are a feeling of emptiness, and they will say in sessions, I don't know why, I just feel empty. I can't even identify it because I've never been able to identify my feelings very clearly. They'll experience this thing called counterdependence. You've heard of dependence, you've heard of independence. Counterdependence is this adverse thing that stands in the face of anything dependent, where you're not just independent, where you're gonna do things on your own. You run from anything that smells in any way like dependence because you know that that's a dangerous place for you, and you've learned at an early age that your world cannot be trusted. They're also known to have unrealistic self appraisal because they were never evaluated or cared for or loved. They walk with guilt and shame. They think to themselves, if people really know me, they won't like me. And then they have this inability to understand their emotions, and they have a difficulty nurturing those people that they're now raising, and on and on and on it goes. Massive, massive issues with trust and then a lack of strength in their life. And so nurturing produces this trust, produces this strength. It also produces empathy. When someone's needs are cared for, they know intuitively how to care for others' needs, and they don't even know why. They just get it. They just get it. Here's where it gets super practical. This is why your job is so critical 
people who have been nurtured in a healthy way by their moms and their dads, but by their moms. This, this is a ministry. This is where I'm going to bring my sister into the conversation. They have this culture in their home that has now the capacity to give a gift to the future legacy of your home where they have now this nurtured environment that can produce great future spouses. Great future spouses. See, this, this is my point. I was talking to my sister this week about Mother's Day. And her son is getting married in a few months. I'm going out to do the wedding. It's one of those deals where I can remember, you know, like obviously when he was born and now he's old enough to be married. And uh, we're both tripping out about that. He's moving out of his house this week and uh, moving into his first place as he prepares for a wedding to come. And she's sending me pictures of his room and it being unpacked. And maybe you're like, so what? But for me, that was a big deal. I was walking with her through that. And she said to me, she said, one of the gifts that I want to give my future daughter-in-law is a son who's been well-nurtured. And I thought, I've never heard anyone else say that before. She said, I actually have thought through the process of raising my child that one day I want to give him, her, his future, his future wife, my future daughter-in-law, this gift of an emotionally well-adjusted young man who has this trust and strength and empathy in his life. Because this is what she said. Because she said, nurtured boys become incredibly attractive men. True? Nurtured boys become incredibly attractive men. They have this strength to them. They can engage a room. They can display empathy. They can be playful. They can have confidence to look stupid. They can tear up a dance floor when they're older because they just kind of walk in this security where they know who they are and they don't really question it. Nurtured kids become spouses who are patient, who are kind-hearted, who are strong, who are good leaders in their home, who are connected to their churches. And to nurture now is to give a gift of a future legacy as a mom. It's to give this gift of emotional connectivity to your future daughter-in-law. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I've never thought about that. That you're actually not just passing that a legacy, you're giving this gift to be unwrapped by your motherhood. What a beautiful gift. They create future parents that can be great. It produces this legacy where you have spouses and you have parents that are now replicating behavior that took place in their life. Here's what's so crazy. This is why it's so God. From zero to 18 months, Zero to 18 months when trust is formed. That nurturing is taking place. And you start to see it manifest. It, it seems like, as a dad, it seems like it's not even a big deal. And then your kids get older. They're almost adults. And you start to see these things start to take place in their life. And you're going, I didn't even know that that existed in their, in their other relationships. You see how they are and how they behave. Right? That they actually, although they, they act like they know everything, will still come to you for wisdom. That all those times that you nurtured them and caught, not, not coddled's a bad word, where you, where you would hug them and show affection to them, now you seeing them doing that as even teenagers to other people because they have this sense of security. They become great future parents. My, my oldest is in class right now with a lady who teaches at Aberdeen Christian. About to turn 17 years old. He has his first child. You don't know whether or not to laugh at that because you're like, whoa. 
Uh, it's not a real child. His name is Cash Money Johnson, named by him. He wears... <laughs> I should have set that up better. He wears a backpack along with the other students. He has a car seat, which I think he's forgotten to take the kid out of a few times. Don't grade him on that, Patty, if you're in here. And I watch him kind of nurture this kid. And I think to myself, I pray that he'll actually be a good dad someday. That these nurturing concepts will take root. Because nurturing produces something. It produces something. It gives this legacy. Here's the third question. Here's the closer. What is the ministry of nurturing? What is the ministry of this thing? There's a few different ways that the book lays out. We're going to go back to the book. I kind of took a break from it with all that stuff. Uh, the, the ministry of nurturing is in the home. It's in the home. And, and what I'm not saying is that uh, I'm not being you know, misogynistic, that, that only a man can work or anything like that. I mean, that would obviously <laughs> cut out the majority of the audience anyways, but I don't even believe it. My wife works. I mean, that, that's not where I'm coming from. I'm not saying, you know, nurturing is in the home, and if, you're, if you have a job as a woman, then you're sinning. No way, no way, no way. But I am saying this, that you have this unique role in the home. And the author says this, today's mothers are pulled in so many directions, and they're isolated and unsupported by popular culture in the work of mothering. And she says this to mom. She says, we must become convinced in our souls that nurturing is a supremely elevated role, and then we need to proclaim that truth to women around us. We need to proclaim that truth to our children. We need to live that out in our family dynamic because at the end of the day, really, nothing matters more than this role. The Bible speaks to this role not only in the home, but outside of the home. We can put that on the screen. There's a scripture for that. Older women are to teach younger women what this looks like. Titus says this in chapter 2, starting in verse 3. He says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And verse 4 says this, And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, to be pure, to be working at home and kind and submissive to their husbands, that the word of God uh, may not be reviled. There's this idea in Scripture that it's, it's all about mentorship. And so the ministry of motherhood is in the home, and the ministry of motherhood is outside of the home. And the beauty of femininity is that nurturing takes place regardless of having children. That it's wired within you in a way where even if you never have kids, this is a role that can take place in your life. We have women in the church, several women, for whatever reason in the church, that are teachers who have never been married. And they have this legacy now where so many kids in the community know who they are and they're investing in and nurturing into that next generation, even though biologically they've never been mothers. We have, we have a staff member at New Life who's in now her 50s, and she's so mothering. I told her this the other day because I knew it's Mother's Day and that's a hard day for her to be even in church. But I told her, I said, you know, the essence of motherhood is to nurture, and you are like one of the most nurturing people in my life. Rhonda is one of the most nurturing, and it's kind of weird to say that. She's definitely not my mom, or nor is she old enough to be my mom. But she's very motherly towards me, and it's like a ministry in her life. And it manifests in this. She's very protective of me as a pastor. 
very protective. Historically, she's been around a long time. She, she's got my back, and I know it, and she takes on that role, and she owns it, and here's what's cool, because I'm getting old myself, and that's just a small example. I watch her do that with so many children in the church. She has this drawer that all the kids know about when they come in, like the staff kids all know about Rhonda's drawer, and they open that drawer, and there's all these little toys from the dollar store, and they get to pick one out because she has that motherly, nurturing affection for them, and she has this ministry, although she's never had kids, she has this ministry in the church for the kids in the church out of the home where she plays that role. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. The last one is this, that it's in the home, it's out of the home, and here's what the Bible says, it's for the forgotten children, it's for the orphans, it's for reaching out, this, this maternal instinct that's wired within you, it's for reaching the nations. James 1.20 says, says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unsustained from the world. Here's something you guys don't know about that I'm just going to bring up today is kind of like exciting news. Every time we go to Peru now, Chuck, can I just talk about, okay. Every time we go to Peru now, we, we didn't want to say too much because we don't know exactly where it's going. We go to an orphanage. We, we've developed a relationship with a young man who is a, just a godly young man who grew up a missionary kid himself, who about a half an hour of boat ride, 45-minute boat ride away from Iquitos has this orphanage where he has 12 to 16-year-old boys who have been through incredible, incredible circumstance. And he, he trains them. He teaches them how to do practical tasks. He teaches them how to fish. He teaches them how to kill alligators. Is that accurate? I mean, he's just like the crocodile hunter on steroids. I, I, don't, I don't really know him well. But Chuck's developing this close relationship with him. And then there's a, there's a female on staff through New Life in Peru who has this just kind of motherly role now in this orphanage where she's close to him and she's, she's close to these kids. And you, you see this all happening and you see the gospel being put on display and there's this ministry of the forgotten children through this heart of nurturing. This is the gospel on display. This is what it looks like to live it out. So what, what do we do with all of this as we close? And I mean, just on a practical level, we, this is a discipline in your life. This is a discipline in my life that has to be nurtured. But what we do with this is we evaluate. We evaluate and we ask ourselves this question. Are we following the patterns of the world and, and, and the values of the world? Or are we doing these things in our life where we're saying we're going to be countercultural? We're, we're going to be men who who are leaders of our home. We're going to be women who are nurturers of our home and take seriously this call on our life to have these disciplines of a godly life through this context of motherhood, through this context of nurturing. And so even though, here's how I want to close, even though maybe that hasn't happened to you in your life where you're going, man, I believe everything you're saying, but that's not been my story, and I don't even know if I'll ever be able to be that person in in a family, with my own children, because that has not been something that's been displayed to me. And when you start talking about those first 18 months, I'll tell you this, the first 18 years have been a train wreck. And so what do I do with that? Are you now condemning me because all of a sudden now that hasn't been installed in my life? And I would just tell you, man, that's the point of being around the people of God. That's the entire point of the gospel itself, that there are these women in Scripture 
who undoubtedly love God with all their heart and the greatest characters in the Bible didn't have what I just laid out for you. Here's where psychology and the gospel collide. Are you ready? Psychology says, here, learn a few coping strategies. This happened to you and it's not okay. Try to learn to love yourself and cope with these problems so that you can be happier. The gospel says this, it doesn't matter, look at me when I tell you this, it doesn't matter what happened to you, it doesn't matter if you were neglected on an emotional level, it doesn't matter if you never heard the gospel when you're young, it doesn't matter if you're a woman who never understand what it means to be a mother, you can radically change because of Christ. Radically change. That you can lay your life down at the foot of the cross and he who the Son has set free is free indeed. She who the Son has set free is free indeed, indeed. And that you can lay your life down at the foot of the cross. And you can pick up your cross and you can follow Christ. And this is what women in Scripture did that were changed. Old Testament, there's this lady named Ruth. She had a brutal life. Husband murdered. Brother-in-law dead. Father-in-law dead. She's now walking with her mother-in-law, which traditionally is a very tumultuous relationship. She has a hard, hard road. And her mom's name is Bitter. And her mom says, I'm going back home. Don't follow me. Get lost, basically. I'm paraphrasing. And Ruth, in her character, because she comes to know the Lord, she says, your God is my God. Where you go, I will go. She was not nurtured. She grew up in a land where people killed babies. Child sacrifice was a part of her cultic worship. She understands who the Lord is in her life. She says, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I will stay. I'm going to follow you no matter what. And your God is my God. She takes on this nurturing heart because she gets saved. Mary Magdalene, she, she was raped, no question. Mary Magdalene lived a hard, hard life. Men took advantage of her from probably a young age. Do you really think she had this mother in her life who nurtured her? She was taken advantage of by the men around her and the culture around her. She meets Jesus, and Jesus takes on this nurturing role in her life, and he shows her this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to be loved no matter what. And she lays her life down at the foot of the cross. We can cultivate this reality of nurturing in our lives, in our church, in our ministry, in the home, and outside of the home because God is good and Christ saves and Christ redeems. Your story is not the end of the narrative. It's a piece of the testimony. If you don't have anyone in your life that is showing you how to live out these disciplines, that's where mentorship comes in. That's where new legacies are formed. And if you're mature in your faith as a woman, your role is to disciple those women younger than you, just like Titus says. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for Mother's Day. We thank you for this gift of motherhood. And we want to just take a moment to honor the women in our church. A lot of them have children, young and old, but others of them have never had biological children. But they have been also taking on this role and owning this role of nurturing and mothering to the church body and to the outside community. And so we thank you for that legacy. We thank you for what that legacy will produce. 
For those of us who have not had what we've talked about today, God, I just pray, Jesus, that you would come in and that you would be the rescuer, that you'd be the redeemer, that you'd be the transformer, and that you would nurture our hearts in a way that only you can. And I pray this in your precious name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray this message connected with you, and we hope it gave you another way to connect with Jesus and your New Life family. For more ways to get plugged in here at New Life, you can visit our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.